Hi everyone and welcome to The FFS Show, a award-losing podcast about misinformation and fact-checking by The Ferret. I am your host, Ali Bryan, and alongside me for, we think, the second time is Jamie Mann. How are you doing, Jamie? I am I'm good, thanks, Ali. Always, always happy to be here. So yeah, it's apparently your second time. I couldn't remember exactly when that was in the mists of podcast history. Um, but for those people who don't know you, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? So my name is Jamie. I am an investigative journalist with The Ferret mm. and allegedly a former co-host of this show for one time that you can't remember. Unconfirmed co-host. Well, I mean, I've had so many co-hosts now that it's hard to remember you all individually. Well, it must have been a mem- memorable episode for sure. <laughs> This podcast and The Ferret have actually, for once, got some uh, self-promotional good news to talk about, haven't we? We, we do, and uh, I don't know why you... Uh, well, I suppose I do know why, because I, because I know who you are. <laughs> but <laughs> why you were so negative about our, the, saying it's an award-losing podcast, because yeah. it, you were the runner-up, and I think it's important yep. to remember that. Yep, runner-up in the... Um, podcast category of the scottish press awards uh so mm-hmm. thanks very much the panel for um agreeing that we were the second best podcast of the year beaten by the stushy which is a great podcast i recommend people listen to it not only that but the ferret overall won for uh, journalism team of the year for our series which went out last year called who runs scotland which was all about who's in charge of Scotland's public bodies, who owns uh, Scotland's big businesses, uh, the people involved in Scotland's quangos and industries. So uh, that was a really good series in conjunction with the Herald, and we were successful in the Scottish Press Awards. Are you proud of that accolade? I'm I'm absolutely delighted. I, you should be uh, most proud because you were the coordinator. So you ran <laughs> who runs Scotland. Coordinator is a big, a grand term for... Um, creating a very very elaborate spreadsheet <laughs> that was basically my main my main duty was to sort of remind people what they were supposed to be doing that but was an award-winning uh, an award-winning spreadsheet Alex. yeah spreadsheet <laughs> of the year at the scottish press awards <laughs> it's not too late to retrain to be a professional <laughs> spreadsheet maker uh, anyway that's enough backslapping but this week on the podcast we've got a fact check looking at god save the king recently until recently god save the queen and we're going to look at a claim made about that song and some alleged offensive lyrics within it and also i have an interview with dr carlos diaz ruiz from the hankin school of economics in uh, helsinki he was talking to us about his research into how proponents of the flat earth theory um which you may have heard of if you listen to this podcast before if you have frequented the less salubrious parts of the internet and the people who promote it, how they use sort of promotional and marketing tactics in order to promote their uh, work and help it spread, uh, particularly on YouTube. But before that, we're going to take a look at the Royals and God Save the King. So let's get into it. Let's do it. So obviously a lot to have looked into, uh, in the, in the last couple of weeks, um, but why did you decide to to look into a song that was sang at uh, the Queen's funeral, and what did you find out? It's a sort of enduring claim, an enduring point of contention, which is about the uh, lyrics or alleged lyrics to the "God Save the King." So essentially, the claim was made that 
at the uh, funeral of Queen Elizabeth, they sung the national anthem, which is true, and that they had sung all six verses of the national anthem, which includes, as they said, a verse which refers to uh, crushing rebellious Scots. Was that actually sang? What we did is is a laborious task of me going through the entire Queen's funeral footage, along with the official order of service, going through all the songs that they sung and listening to see whether or not they were singing, uh, particularly the God Save the Queen sections, whether they were singing the, these versions. The version that was sung at the state funeral was two verses, and it, during the Queen's commitment ceremony, they only sung first verse. So that's the traditional version, which you you probably will hear on sporting events or public events when when that song is sung, which is uh, "God save our gracious King, long live our noble King, God save the King, send to victorious, happy and glorious, long to reign over us, God save the King." That's the traditional version of the song. So, what was the controversy all about? The controversy which has endured about "God save the King" is regarding a verse which has at various times alleged to be included or sung as part of God Save the King. And that is a verse of the song which contains the lyrics, Lord grant that Marshall Wade may be thy mighty aid, victory bring. May he sedition hush and like a torrent rush, rebellious Scots to crush God Save the Queen um, or God Save the King. That's essentially a verse that refers to like anti-Jacobite sentiment in the UK. It refers to Lord Grant that Marshal Wade refers to Field Marshal George Wade, who was put in charge of the army that was sent to stop the Jacobites and Bonnie Prince Charlie during the Jacobite uprising of 1745. So what's interesting about this is looking back into the history of God Save the King and how the lyrics developed. Because it unlike some songs and some famous hymns and things, firstly, there's no agreed author of God Save the King. Nobody really knows who wrote it initially. It's been attributed to various uh, writers and various composers, but broadly speaking, the original version that was printed, was printed in 1745, only had, it was slightly altered, but basically had the two verses which I I mentioned earlier. A lot of claims talk about there being six verses, um, and there are a number of other verses which have been included in the song at various times and included in various versions and been printed in various places. Um, and one of them includes has included this verse, which refers to the rebellious Scots to crush. There's no evidence to suggest that song has ever been really sung widely as part of God Save the Queen in official circumstances. It certainly was added by somebody after the fact. It's not part of the original lyrics and not part of the original song. And there's some, some suggestion it might have been sung around that time and possibly a bit later. But it, there's no evidence to suggest it's been sung really by anybody in any official capacity for 100 years at least, at bare minimum 100 years, probably more than that. So, so what's the the official version of the song, or is there is there one? Well, not really. I mean, it, like a lot of these things to do with the royal family, a lot of these things are to do with kind of convention. The national anthem that the royal family use in uh, events, and like obviously like the Queen's funeral and like various other um, royal events, is usually the first verse or the two verses, um, which I mentioned before. The second verse of them being, "Thy choicest gifts in store on him be pleased to pour. Long may he reign. May he defend our laws and." ever give us cause to sing with heart and voice god save the king that was sung at the queen's funeral none of the other verses on the queen's funeral and as you say there's not really a rule as to what can be sung but the rebellious scotch verse is never sung it was included after the fact seemingly had a very short shelf life and hasn't been part of it for hundreds of years so our verdict in that claim was false okay well that's that cleared up then 
My name is Carlos Diaz Ruiz. I'm an assistant professor at Hanken School of Economics in Finland. Uh, my field of research is in cultural studies in consumption, um, which is an angle from marketing. So we enter by studying um, consumer tribes and consumer communities, uh, mm. and they often get aligned with a sense of uh, mythology, their own view of culture, great identity. And from there, we ended up with this very unique group of people uh, they, that believe that the earth is flat. People will know, uh, in a sort of abstract sense, you might have heard of flat earth theory. But could you just explain kind of exactly what it is and who believes it? It's a very interesting belief, actually. It's not, um, it's not a new thing. It actually comes oh. from, uh, uh, it's a very old belief uh, that has been around for a couple of hundred years, actually. Uh, and people who believe the Earth is flat, um, they believe exactly that—that that we don't believe in a, that we don't live in a sphere, that we live in a in a flat Earth, just as our um, our senses tell us that it is. The the, the yeah. senses that our life, our normal human experience, tell us that the Earth is is indeed flat, and you need um, scientific evidence to prove that it's actually rounder. Yeah. I remember um, when I was a teenager, even uh, maybe 15 or so years ago, going on with my friends, going on the Flat Earth Society website, barely anybody used it. But compared then to now, there's been a massive increase in how many people believe it and how much traction it's getting. What's, what's behind that and how has that developed? Well, that's actually what attracts us to study these type of groups um, because it's not an isolated phenomenon. Yeah. What we see is that social media was theorized, theorized uh, the, the turn of the last century as some kind of an, an equalizer in which everyone will get access to, to uh, open information without yeah. someone controlling it. Unfortunately, what happened through social media is that uh, people start to gather in groups of what they believe. So instead of having one uh, making uh, truth free as it was the idea what we have is that we mm. end up having a lot of uh, identity driven discussions in which right, right. people gather with other people that they care about this was fine i mean people like to share their own hobbies and their own groups their own influences that that's fine they they, they join into brand communities and they want to like uh, harley davidson motorcycles that's fine but at some point, and this is the interesting thing, the, the, the discussion breaks into, into an echo chamber in which it is not just about talking about brands or hobbies or video right. games, but it starts to be about the, the nature of what we perceive outside, what is the nature of even, even the nature of reality and the nature of political um, society. And then this echo chamber starts to work in a way that it isolates, it radicalizes. So yeah. instead of having one uh, um, utopic uh, forum in which information is free, what we created is a, a lot of several parallel uh, bubbles uh, that don't really interact with each other. And what we were interested in studying is not whether they believe the earth is flat, but what we were very much interested is in the dynamics of these echo chambers, these bubbles in which people just yeah. talk with each other. Uh, uh, because they started as a form of consumption and then they moved into the political realm. What's really interesting specifically about Flat Earth, it sort of attracts a lot of the attention in the conspiracy realm because to many people, like 
quite obviously ludicrous or it seems obviously ludicrous. So I think people sometimes dismiss it as just like a kind of fringe, almost like a novelty. But should people be worried about it? Should people be worried specifically about Flat Earth and how it interconnects with other conspiracy theories? The problem here is that the dynamics of the Flat Earth are very similar and interconnected with other conspiracies and radicalizing uh, groups that are actually very problematic. So okay, the so flat he... earth the flat earth is a good is a good group to study because they are they are uh, uh, funny, interesting. I mean nothing mm. is really wrong with what they believe, but they have the same rhetorical mechanisms. They talk in the same way and they serve as gateways to multiple other actually uh, dangerous radicalizing societies. They they have the same, which is what we study. We were studying their rhetorics. We we yeah. we don't we we are not in the business of telling them. Well, you 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 should believe the earth is flat. No, but we are in the businesses of understanding the way they talk and the way they build their their uh, echo chambers, in order to understand how they grow and how they maintain coherence because they yeah. are coherent within their logic. They they have a logic. They are not. Irrational. They are very much rational within the logic that they are uh, building themselves. That's why it's so difficult to convince them otherwise, because within their logic, they make perfect sense. So, what sort of techniques are flat Earth promoters and uh, high-profile flat earthers? What are they, what techniques are they using to spread this theory? So, they use essentially three types of techniques. They are very repetitive. They don't really innovate very much. They fall into one group. These um, these YouTubers fall into one or the three uh, talking points, if you wish to call it that yeah. way, and they repeat again and again and again the story. The first one is a religious angle. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's essentially a, a, a Christian angle, militant Christianity angle, in which they believe that their traditions and their um, values are being replaced by um, a group of atheists that are uh, using science and scientific knowledge as weapons to attack their right. uh, Christianity belief, which is um, uh, uh, which is very in parallel to the QAnon uh, group. Yeah. Um, the second belief they use is the is the the idea that power corrupts, and that the more that people are in power, the more corrupt they are. And you cannot trust someone in authority because power corrupts. So the more that information comes from top to down, the more that you cannot believe it. And that's the basics of basically any conspiracy uh, that a group of people are conspiring to keep power. And why do they conspire in these basic things? Because they want to keep knowledge locked. So if they convince you that the earth is, uh, is round or a sphere, then they are deceiving you so that you don't believe the basic nature of, of, of reality and making other lies easier to believe. I don't know if that makes sense. From their perspective, yeah. the, the, the flat earth is an umbrella conspiracy in which the core idea of the elite, of the government, is to convince you that you cannot even trust the most basic elements of your human experience, that you shouldn't trust what you see, you should trust what they tell you, and therefore other conspiracies will become easier um, to, to convince, or they are more convincing if they convince you of this basic lie. Um, and the third element is the idea that, that people should believe 
only what they see. This is some kind of naive empiricism. The idea that right. you should only believe your trust, trust your senses. You should only believe the experiments you do at home. You shouldn't believe an expert because these are people who consider themselves free thinkers. They consider themselves yeah. people who, who do experiments, who research on their own, who are not going to take an opinion for granted. When you put them all this together, you have the perfect idea of, of the flat earth. How much of uh, the flat earth, like people who are peddling and promoting flat earth theory, how much of it is intentional disinformation? How much of it is truly held beliefs that are just incorrect? I would say that most people that believe in the flat earth really just believe on that. So it will be misinformation. Yeah. They don't have the intention to create a big campaign against that. But there is a minority that actively try to link it. There is a minority that try to link the flat earth into the religious right because that gives them power. That gives mm. them power to convince others. That makes them insiders. They are very much at, at making inroads into some communities that are vulnerable. Uh, right. to t to, uh, so, for instance, we discussed, we saw many, many times um, flat earthers bringing the idea that they are, they are, they are protecting the children. Where did we saw that protecting the children? Pizza Gate, right, yeah. going on, same thing. And and how do you protect the children? Well, um, because then they don't grow up to be horrible atheists. They grow up to be good Christians. Right. So that's their entry. So it's a moral so, argument as well. Yeah. And the argument that they are yeah. protecting children from, from atheists is again and again repeated. Uh, and it's the same argument as, as Pizzagate and the, and the and yeah. QAnon and, and whatnot. So there is a minority. And this minority tends to to accuse everyone else of, of being uh, impure in their critique. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, they very rarely acknowledge that they make lots of money out of, of living right. on these world tours and, uh, and yeah, having yeah. a lot of presence to do that. Where is Flat Earth now, as in today, 2022, compared to where it was in 2017? We're talking about the massive spike in interest. You find with conspiracy theories, I find what's interesting about conspiracy theories is they, some of them tend to get outflanked by each other. Is Flat Earth as popular as it was? It, where, where does it sit next to QAnon? How, mm. yeah, what situation is it is in 2022? It's definitely less popular. There are many of the channels that 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 we were tracking uh, through the last five years are not existing anymore, or they right. have a way lower traffic. Their videos are there. There are some some of them who keep uploading a lot, but definitely their their videos that are just flat earth seem to be kind of disappearing. Mm -hmm. or getting under the radar. They they complain that they don't get views because of the changes on the algorithm. So there might be yeah. something about that. I suspect that that's not the real answer. I suspect that their audience shift because this is an entryway. As, uh, it's a gateway conspiracy. Yeah. You, you, you enter through there and then, you know, um, uh, elites, uh, so for Christianity under attack, and then you move into other that are perhaps more credible today. And I would say uh, QAnon is probably a good candidate to, to of where they are all now. I don't see the same level of activity as a few years back, even though it exists. Mm. Uh, it's less. I think the, that whereas 2017, they were mostly a curiosity, or early 2016, they were a curiosity, and people would, you know, like, Okay, nothing is happening. Therefore, you know, I can watch them. 
Um, now there are things happening that yeah. have a more sense of urgency. I don't think their beliefs really change. I just think they change the forums where they are talking about these issues. Thanks again to Carlos Diaz-Ruiz for that uh, really interesting interview. Um, I think looking into it and looking into kind of the, the marketing side of how people promote false information is something we've not looked at before in this podcast, I don't think, and is a sort of really interesting part of it because all these ideas, uh, no matter how ridiculous they may seem to some people, are affected by how well they're presented. And people will know, uh, you know, People like Alex Jones, for example, from Infowars, is all about the presentation and his style and how entertaining he makes it and how like punchy it is, even though he's talking um complete nonsense a lot of the time, it ends up getting huge following and a huge audience, which is kind of more dangerous. So it's an interesting way to look at it from a marketing perspective, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I suppose I hadn't really considered a lot of yeah, how mistruths are marketing because it is like be a lot beyond the substance of it. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, that's all we've got time for for this episode. Uh, thanks so much to Jamie for uh, co-hosting. Um, I've no doubt you'll be back on, and I will this definitely remember this one fondly. Remember, if you have uh, any suggestions for this podcast or for fact checks you want us to do, you can email me at factcheckattheferret.scot. If you want to suggest anything and, and also like chat about uh, fact-checking or any of the ferret's uh, investigative work, go to our new community forum, which is community.theferret.scot, which is where all of our story ideas, quiz questions we do for our um, email and anything else you want to chat about in terms of commenting on stories and stuff. Um, and we will be there to answer your queries directly, won't we, Jamie? Uh, yeah, night and day. 24-7. <laughs> so you can, you can take that to the bank. Thanks again, Jamie, for co-hosting and thanks to everyone for listening. We will be back next time. See you then. Bye.